Ananyas chintayantomam, ye jana parupasate, te sam nichabhyuktanam, yoga keshmam baham yaham. But those who always worship me with exclusive devotion, meditating on my transcendental form, to them I carry what they lack, and I preserve what they have. Omajana Trivanandasya, Janajana Salakaya, Chakshurun Melitanyena Tasmai Sri Gurave Namaha. I was born in the darkness of ignorance, but my spiritual masters opened my eyes with the torchlight of knowledge. I offer my most respectful obeisances unto him. We're going to start this evening on uh, text number 16. And see how many of these verses we can cover. Hmm. But it's <clears throat> but it is I who am the ritual, I the sacrifice, the offer offering to the ancestors, the healing herb, the transcendental chant. I am the butter and the fire and the offering. I am the father of this universe, the mother, the support, and the grandsire. I am the object of knowledge, the purifier, and the syllable om. I am also the rig, the sama, and the yajur vedas. I am the goal, the sustainer, the master, the witness, the abode, the refuge, and the most dear friend. I am the creation and the annihilation, the basis of everything, the resting place, and the eternal seed. O Arjuna, I give heat, and I withhold and send forth the rain. I am immortality, and I'm also death personified. Both spirit and matter are in me. In this series of verses, Krishna gives Arjuna instruction as to how he should be seen in, in everything within the material world. Now remember, at the beginning of this chapter, which is called the most confidential knowledge, Krishna said he was going to impart more confidential knowledge to Arjuna because he was qualified, and the way he was qualified is, his qualification was, you're not envious of me. When you hear someone speak of their glories, the way Krishna is speaking of their glories, of his glories here, the natural tendency would be, oh, either he's really puffed up with himself, he's uh, very, that's good, yes, egotistical. I mean, I am, I'm everything. Listen to me, listen to this. Unless we have a, have a relationship and an understanding of the Supreme Lord where there's no envy involved, then an appreciation of these qualities is very, very difficult to obtain. Generally, when you hear someone speak of all that he is and all that he has and every, everything that is basically under him and it's him that you see here and you see there, and he's the sustenance of everything. He's the source of everything. He's the purpose of all scriptural regulation. He's actually the, the scripture itself. When someone speaks in this way of themselves, you'd say, wow, you're pretty full of yourself. Krishna is the most full, of course, so he could speak in this way. And he's, of course, speaking truthfully that everything is, is coming about by a manifestation of his various energies and if we can see Krishna as the basis of these things, 
then we can gradually begin to appreciate and be attracted to his transcendental character. If you look in the world, if we look at what attracts us in the world to another person, we're attracted by their, by their good qualities. And Krishna is the source of all good qualities. So as much as we've experienced attraction to another in this world because they're wealthy or they're beautiful or they're kind-hearted or knowledgeable or renounced, very magnanimous, whatever makes, gives us an attraction to another, either in, a, in whatever relationship that may be. That attraction may be that we're, they're our friend and we're attracted by the fact that they're, they're, uh, they're the no, most personable person that we know, that they're the, uh, that the, they're the most uh, popular. A lot of people in, uh, in young life, they're attracted to a certain individual because why? Well, I want to hang out with the guy because he's the quarterback. And he gets all the good girls and everybody will, you know, he's the most handsome and he's always the king of the prom. So man, if I could hang out with him, I'd be cool. So we're attracted to those, to those qualities in another individual. The source of all good qualities is the Supreme Lord himself. So any qualities that we perceive in another, whether we are attracted to that other personality in, in friendship, uh, in awe and reverence, uh, if we're attracted to to have a loving relationship with them, whatever way we're attracted to another, that the source, the underlying principle is Krishna. And you notice if you read the purports to these verses, Prabhupada keeps, he says that again and again, Krishna, Krishna, you read the purport. And I mean, in the purport to the first verse, it's Krishna, 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 Krishna. All these things are Krishna. See Krishna as this is also Krishna. And he's the Mahayajna. And he's, he's the king of drugs in the form of clarified butter is also Krishna. And the mantras chanted in this connection are also Krishna. And the commodities made with milk products for offering in the sacrifices are also Krishna. So there's a theme here. Prabhupada is trying to get the point across that the devotee sees Krishna in everything. Not only does he see him as some faraway supreme personality, but he sees him in every aspect of his life. He sees him as manifested throughout the material universe and basically sees him everywhere in, in everything. Krishna is explaining, you can see me in all these things. You can see my energy as, as, as available through all these different things. And for the pure devotee, he sees Krishna everywhere. Not that he may, he may not see Krishna's personal form everywhere, but he sees everything as a manifestation of Krishna's energy. Krishna is giving an indication of, to Arjuna here, this is the way you should fix your consciousness. This is the mentality that you should gradually attain. You should aspire to this, this angle of vision. This is the most confidential knowledge I'm giving here. And if you can adjust your consciousness to see me in everything, then you're going to be successful. You're not going to have any impediments. Is there any places where you won't find Krishna's energy? Saying that, you know, you find him 
even an atomic matter. I mean, is there? Most likely. Well, according to the text, it says, yeah, he's the Alpha and the Omega, meaning he's going to be everywhere. Right. So, therefore, is there... So, the only thing is our vision. The devotee sees Krishna, everything in relationship with Krishna. Mm -hmm. Everything. Right. And the non-devotee sees things independent of Krishna. Mm -hmm. But truly, everything is coming from Krishna. Right. Everything is coming from Krishna's energy. Mm -hmm. So Krishna is giving us an indication here. This is the way you see things. Understand that I'm the underlying principle. And particularly these verses here address that underlying pr principle of religious ritualistic sacrifices and scripture. I'm the ritual, I'm the sacrifice, the offering to the ancestors. These are all procedures. These are all religious practices that people take up to give them a better situation in life or to fulfill a religious obligation. I'm the butter and the fire and the offering. Everything that you see is religious. Understand that I'm that underlying principle. That's the point Krishna's making here. Your worship of the ancestors, your engagement in, in any kind of ritual or sacrifice for your upliftment or for the upliftment of your family or for your departed family, Anything that you may engage, that basically is, is myself. How does that differ from the impersonalist who sees God everywhere? The difference is the, the personalist sees God everywhere by seeing his energy everywhere. He sees everything as inner, Krishna's energy. Krishna is manifested throughout, throughout the universe by his diverse energies. The impersonalist sees everyone as being the Supreme Personality. Does that make sense? There's a nice explanation in the Chaitanya Charitamrita in, in this regard. Basically, throughout the Vedas, we have the, the, the transcendental sound vibration Om. And this is the basis of all, all Vedic mantra, Om. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. I mean, Om is there. It's, it's the transcendental seed which is not different from the Supreme Lord. The impersonalist, they don't put their emphasis, emphasis when they study the Vedas, their emphasis is not on Om as the Supreme Personality. Uh, the mantra Om is, is, is chanted uh, throughout the Vedas. Their main, what they take out of the Vedas Sankaracharya, his emphasis is on, is on Tatvam Asi. I am that spiritual. I, there is no difference between me and the Supreme. Tatvam Asi. I am basically the Supreme. That's the emphasis of Sankaracharya. And their interpretation of the Vedas is basically centered around that concept. Whereas the, the, the true concept of Vedic understanding is everything centers around Om, the Supreme Personality, A-U-M, Krishna, Radharani, and the living entities. Big difference there. They see, I am everything. I am that Supreme. They associate their, per, their selves with being Supreme. Everything is God. Therefore, I am part of God, therefore I am God, as opposed to seeing Krishna as the, the 
they they make themselves dissented. Yes, right? they, yes. Instead of saying I belong to Krishna. <laughs> no, I am the supreme. I am. I am. It's just now I've become illusion. But as soon as I get shake the illusion off, then I then I'm supreme. The Vaishnav sees. No, I'm part of the energy of the supreme. So it's a matter of an understanding of the supreme energies of the supreme personality and seeing ourselves in that relationship. And they don't recognize the energetic. They don't recognize the source. So I am the father of the universe, the mother, the support, and the grandsire. I am the object of knowledge, the purifier, and the syllable own. I am the rig, the saman, the yajur vedas. I am the goal, the sustainer, the master, the witness, the abode, the refuge, and the most dear friend. I am the creation and the annihilation, the basis of everything, the resting place, and the eternal seed. Eternal seed. As opposed to the bija. The bija means the eternal, the eternal seed. Whereas in this world, all the seeds that are there the fruit of those seeds is not eternal. It's temporary. When we see that, when we look at the universe, when we look at everything that is manifested throughout the creation, that eternal source, that is Krishna. Whereas our seeds here in this world, they, they're, they produce, they produce some fruit, but it's not eternal. It's not ever existing. I was reading that in the commentaries of uh, both Baladevid Yabushan and uh, Vishwanath Chakravarti uh, point that out, to see that distinction of being the eternal seed, imperishable, of yayam. So the bijam, the seed, is imperishable, whereas the seed that we experience in this world, when the tree comes, the seed is destroyed in that process, yes? Breaks up and becomes, but the seed doesn't exist itself once its function of of creating offspring has been fulfilled. Whereas here, imperishable seed means Krishna, he can produce unlimited, om purnam araha punami dam. Unlimited things, perfect things are coming from the Lord. Perfect and complete. Om purnam araha punami dam. So all those complete manifestations, the Lord can have all those complete perfect manifestations emanating from him, but he still remains perfect and complete even though all these things are coming from him and they're perfect and complete themselves. Make sense? Imperishable seed. It can produce. Just like if I have a candle and I give you a candle and I light your candle and my can with my lit candle, you have the same candle power. I have my candle, you have your candle power. And your candle, and your candle, and so everybody's got a candle now. But the original source, that's Krishna. So he can have all these perfect things emanating from him, but he still remains undiminished. My candle by lighting yours is not diminished, is it? No. So, Om Purnam Adaha Purnam Ida. Where, where are you right now? Where, where, where are you quoting Om Purnam? Uh, that's from Sri Aishapanishad. Oh. The text, first verse of Sri Aishapanishad. Okay. So far, I hear Thomas, we have a Kishpacharya. Where are you? I'm just reviewing. Uh, we started with. 
We started, yeah, we started this evening with uh, text number 16. Text 19, O Arjuna, I give heat and I withhold and send forth the rains. I am immortality and I am also death personified. Both spirit and matter are in me. You'll see as Krishna develops this idea, he's given Arjuna all these particular points here as to basically everything is emanating from me, everything is resting upon my energy, and in the ultimate issue, everything is being conducted under my jurisdiction. Now, if we go on, text 20 goes on, those who study the Vedas and drink the Soma juice, seeking the heavenly planets, worship me indirectly. Purified of sinful reactions, they take birth on the pious heavenly planets of Indra, where they enjoy godly delights. And what is Soma juice? Soma juice is a, a nectar of uh, immortality. Uh, you read about uh, sacrifices in the Bhagavatam being performed and one of the parts of the sacrificial rituals is from the soma plant, mm-hmm. uh, a juice is made. And that juice, uh, that nectar, uh, gives the participants uh, in the sacrifice uh, basically immortality uh, in the sense that uh, just like, it's like a pr- powerful herb. Mm-hmm. There is a specific plant. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just like uh, when Krishna manifests his, his pastimes here on, on earth, uh, he, he brought down from the heavenly planets uh, uh, the uh, Sudharma Hall, uh, a meeting place. If you were in this building, you were for free of all physical distress. And basically, as long as you resided there, uh, no, no harm would come to you. So similarly, part of the ritualistic sacrifice of having these sacrifices that the, the uh, Brahmins performed on, the half of, on behalf of mankind for their upliftment, part of that was, I mean, first they'd come in and they'd plow the area of the sacrifice, make the, you know, the grounds very comfortable, and uh, you know, they'd accumulate all the different ingredients to perform the sacrifice, uh, there'd be a ritualistic bath before the sacrifice began. Uh, certain priests would be assigned certain positions in the sacrificial proceedings. One priest would uh, chant the mantras, and one priest would be a referee. A referee in that he'd check everything and make sure that everybody stayed within the, within the proper, proper conduct of the sacrifice, specifically in regards to the chanting of the mantras so that you got it right. Because just a little slip-up in the chanting of these mantras during a sacrifice, and what you thought you would get, you would get the exact opposite. I want a very beautiful wife, but if I, uh, if I chant the word for a very beautiful wife the wrong way, maybe I'll get a very unattractive wife. These things are there. So in this verse 20, Krishna's referring to those acts of sacrifice, that those sacrifices that are performed, those karma kanda sacrifices for elevation to the heavenly planets. And he speaks here, he says, those who study the Vedas and drink the Soma juice, seeking the heavenly planets, they, seek, they take the Soma juice at the time of the sacrifice, seeking 
to obtain the heavenly planets where, from their viewpoint, you become immortal. Now we understand that going to the heavenly planet does not make you immortal. But if you go from a planet where you may live for a hundred years to a planet where you live a hundred thousand years, that seems immortal. You don't worry you don't worry about growing old and dying on the heavenly planet. So from your perspective, that's immortality. Now from the perspective of the transcendental world, from Krishna's perspective, what's he say? <laughs> from the highest planet, Brahma's planet, down to the lowest planet, all those planets, all of these planets within the material universe are considered places of misery. Why? Because there's repeated birth and death. Well, I mean, but come on, in the heavenly planets you live for hundreds of thousands of years. You don't even worry about death. Well, but you still die. That, from the transcendental vision, transcendental viewpoint, that's, that's a place of misery. The soul's eternal. Any experience of death, any experience of being kicked out of your com comfortable position, that's not desirable for the soul. I can be in the heavenly planets. I can be Indra. I can be the king of heaven. I can have opulences that are inconceivable to somebody that's on this earthly plane. But from the transcendentalist vision, they don't last. Well, if it doesn't last, then it's not characteristic of my true position of eternity, knowledge, and bliss. What's Krishna say here, though? They worship me indirectly. They perform these, but they're worshiping Krishna indirectly. They're worshiping the demigods. Early in Bhagavad Gita, what did Krishna say? If you worship the demigods, you go to the planets of the demigods. If you worship, you know, the ancestors, you'll go to those planets. If you worship ghosts and demons, perform black magic, that's what's attractive to you, then you can go and you can be a nice Shasha and have that as your goal. So, but the fulfillment, as you remember earlier in Bhagavad Gita, we covered this where Krishna explained that First of all, those people that have an aspiration within this material world, he makes their faith strong. So first of all, you, may, you have the desire and he gives you the determination to act for the fulfillment of your desire. And not only that, but those people who are administrators within the material world who are in the business of fulfilling desires, granting benedictions, to the worshiper, those demigods, I give them the I give them the inspiration to fulfill your desire. I give you, I give them, I'm the background of both the fulfillment of your desire, the aspiration you have, the, the determination you have to fulfill that desire, and the demigods' ability to to fulfill that desire that's all coming from me. Sarvashya chaham ridisani visto matas vritir janam apo tanam cha. I'm seeding in everyone's heart. From, ik, from me, from Krishna, comes remembrance, knowledge, and forgetfulness. So Krishna is giving you the remembrance, the knowledge to aspire, 
And there, he's giving the demigods the ability to fulfill that desire. The knowledge that you're worshiping and also the facility to, from that position, fulfill the desire. That's why Krishna can say this kind of worship, it's to me indirectly because unless I'm involved in the process, what's the question? There's no question. Purified of sinful reactions, they take birth on the pious heavenly planets of Indra, heavenly planet of Indra, where they enjoy godly delights. Understand that primarily the Vedas deal with conduct within the material world and fulfillment of material desire. It's just those secret part of the Vedas which deal with, the, with transcendental subject matter. Generally speaking, it's, it's just a manual for material fulfillment. Then how does the Srimad Bhagavatam fit into that? That was extracted... The transcendental information on that level was pulled out from the Vedas? Basically, what happened was transcendental knowledge of the Vedas is passed down uh, from spiritual master to disciple, and it was never, it wasn't, there was no need because mankind had very fine intelligence to write it down. Coming into Kali Yuga, man's very short lived, very short intelligence, very short memory span. So it had to be written down. So Vyasadeva uh, was uh, given that capacity by the Supreme Lord to, to scribe all the Vedas. And he was done. He'd written the manual for life in this material world, for fulfillment of desire. But he wasn't satisfied. And he went to the spiritual masters, Narada Muni. He says, you know, I, I've, I've performed this function. I've been inspired and I, I've, I've written everything down, but I'm not fully satisfied. He was despondent and uh, he approached his spiritual master. I'm, why am I despondent? Why did this not give me complete fulfillment? And Narada pointed out to him at that time that although you've given all the Vedas, you haven't extracted the essence of the Vedas for the upliftment of mankind to the transcendental platform to transcendental knowledge, to pure spiritual knowledge, to pure devotional service. That's, what you, that's why you're feeling this lacking. You need to take out the essence, extract the essence, and give that. So then Vyasadeva was, was inspired to write the Vedanta you know, Sutra and to take the essence of that and uh, make it available through Srimad Bhagavatam. Does that answer your question? Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> so, on to text 21. When they have thus enjoyed vast heavenly sense pleasure and the results of their pious activities are exhausted, they return to the mortal planet, to this mortal planet again. Thus, those who seek sense enjoyment by adhering to the principles of the three Vedas achieve only repeated birth and death. Then, the text we chanted tonight Krishna makes a distinction. And it's important to notice that the Acharyas in commenting on, on these verses of Bhagavad Gita, it's only a matter of perspective. It's basically what they, what they, what they point out. In other words, if you perform your activities, your, these ritualistic 
uh, Vedic sacrifices with knowledge of Krishna as the source, as the underlying principle, then even though you have a material desire, because you're seeing Krishna as the background, then that is devotional service. It's not pure devotional service. Um, Prabhupada makes that point at the end of the, one of the poor ports. But it's still devotional service. If you only see the administrative demigod without seeing Krishna as the source of his powers, then, then your knowledge is not complete. And the result is what Krishna is pointing out in this text, 21. Repeated birth and death. When you don't see Krishna as the background, then you become sub subjected due to a lack of full knowledge to simply enjoying the fruits of your desires on the heavenly planets. And when you've emptied your, your pious bank account, so to speak, then you come back to this earthly plane. Whereas Prabhupada says, he, he likens it in the poor port to a Ferris wheel. You go up and you come down. Uh, the poor purpose is that instead of being elevated to the spiritual world from which there is no longer any possibility of coming down one simply revolves in the cycle of birth and death on higher and lower planets whereas when we give add the tinge of knowledge of Krishna as the as the underlying principle in everything then those sacrifices also are adding to our spirit our transcendental bank account, our spiritual bank account. Then in text 22 that we chanted this evening, Krishna gives the distinction of one who's actually in pure devotional service. But those who always worship me with exclusive devotion. In other words, there's no sidetracking uh, to fulfill any desire that we may have independent of Krishna. Basically, full surrender. Full surrender. Now, in the Srimad Bhagavatam, there's a nice verse, akarma sarva karma va moksa karma udara di. That akarma, sarva karma, akarma means I have no material desire, no karma, no desire for enjoyment, karma. Akarma, sarva karma, I desire everything. I want to go to the heavenly planets, basically where I can enjoy it all. That's what happens in the heavenly atmosphere. We, we try to enjoy it all. A karma, sarva, karma, by moksa karma. Or even you desire liberation. No matter what your desire, karma, sarva, karma, by moksa karma, udharadi, travena bhakti yogena, yajata purusham param. Perform devotional service. Make your offering to Krishna. Go to Krishna to fulfill your desire. Don't be diverted. So, in this verse 22, Krishna is talking about the platform that is ultimately reached by those people, those persons who do not allow themselves to be diverted, or at least have the proper cur courtesy to see that Krishna is the underlying principle. They, they ultimately arise, rise to this platform. They always worship me with exclusive devotion. Because... There's an interesting thing that happens when we see Krishna as the background, even if we have a material desire. 
The Supreme Lord is so magnanimous. He's so appreciative of someone simply approaching him, even for fulfillment of material desire, that he makes it his personal responsibility to purify them totally. So when we see things properly, as Krishna pointed out earlier in these verses, where we said, well, Krishna, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's telling, I'm the underlying principle of everything. I'm the fire, I'm the sacrifice. I'm the imperishable seed. When you see me as the underlying principle and worship in that regard, when you do that, I take responsibility. And he's got to mention that uh, after this verse. Oh, in this verse. In this verse. But those who always worship me with exclusive devotion, meditating on my transcendental four, to them I carry what they lack and I preserve what they have. Krishna becomes that, he takes that much interest when we approach him on any level. That he purifies us to this level of worship to this higher standard just by worshiping and seeing him as the underlying principle. His fulfillment of our material desire, well, that's a given. He fulfills every desire of every living entity. That's his nature, even the, even the people that have no, no appreciation for the Lord. But when someone has some, some little bit of devotion Krishna takes that as the most most valuable thing. And therefore, to, f- to eliminate that material desire, that is not difficult at all. He's interested in that, bringing us to that platform. What to speak of, what Prabhupada is speaking of, this platform of pure unalloyed devotion, uh, where he's giving purport to this verse. He cannot but think of Krishna 24 hours a day. It's the only thought. That's pure devotional service. Being engaged in devotional service by hearing, chanting, remembering, offering prayers, worshiping, serving the lotus feet of the Lord, rendering other services, cultivating friendship and surrendering fully to the Supreme Lord. So you're familiar with this verse, this verse that Prabhupada's uh, basically giving us the English uh, from is spoken by Prahlad Maharaj. Mm. Shravanam Kirtanam Vishnu, Smaranam Padasevanam, Archanam Vandanam Dasyam, Sakyam Atmanivedanam. This verse is very important. These are the nine processes of devotional service. And we can perform all of these processes or any one of these processes and the goal we attain will be the same. If we're only attracted to hearing, only attracted to cha- only attracting to worshiping, only attracted to remembering, only attracted to become friends with God, or surrendering everything to the Lord, if we're doing all those things, or if we're just doing one of those things, the result is we will ultimately come to the platform of pure devotional service. So, text twenty-three: those who are devotees of other gods and who worship them with faith actually worship only me, O son of Kunti, but they do so in a wrong way. They don't see that Krishna is the underlying principle, as we just mentioned, of all other gods. 
They're all simply his agents. Just like in a government, if we see the agents independent of the authority of the government, then then whatever we're whatever transactions we're having with the agent of the government is simply a form of bribery, is it not? We're not seeing the authority of the whole government. So if I go into an administrative head and do business, not knowing that ultimately he's simply a servant of the administration, then without that full knowledge, that ignorance, simply what I'm doing will be looked on as a, as a cheating process. That's what Krishna is pointing out in the 23rd verse here. That they're doing it in the wrong way. They're not seeing me behind everything. At the end of the purport, Prabhupada said, Krishna does not approve the unnecessary worship of demigods. There's no necessity to worship demigods. We can go directly to Krishna. If you have, if you can gain entrance there, that's a key point. How do we gain entrance directly into approaching Krishna for everything? We can ask. Ask who? Krishna. Can you? Why not? If I want to, if I want to go and see Obama. What are the chances of me walking up to the White House and getting in the Oval Office? I'm sure you have to make an appointment. I may need more to put. What do you need? You may make an appointment. Appointment only. Okay. But what do you need besides the appointment? Permission. Mm. And probably um, you need some type of a reference. or. Ah, you need an introduction, yes. a reference. Yes. Without the reference, do you think you'll get an appointment? Well, absolutely not. You'll get oh. uh, you know, the door slammed in your face. You'll get a runaround. Yes. Yes. So, important point there. Very. Similarly, if we want to come to this platform that's spoken of here, of going directly to Krishna and not having to deal with the administrative demigods, mm -hmm. what are we going to need to get to that platform? References. We're going to need to have a, a personal introduction from somebody who what? Who knows who Krishna? Knows who knows Krishna? Probably Krishna himself would know him best. Well, I'm sure he knows himself. What's Krishna say in the Bhagavad Gita about such an introduction? About knowing him? Padvidi pradipatena pari prashnena sevaya. Upadakshantite jnanam janinas tatvadarsina. If you want to learn the truth about me, what do you do? Just try to learn the truth by approaching a spiritual master. Inquire from him submissively. Render service to him. He! Or a devotee. What is the, spirit, the spiritual master? Yes, he is the topmost devotee. He can make that introduction. If we want to avoid the administrative demigods, yes, we can go directly to Krishna. And we can do that through the introduction, through the reference of a bona fide spiritual master. I am the only enjoyer and master of all sacrifices. In other words, whatever you're doing to advance yourself materially or spiritually, that rests on me, Krishna's saying here in this 24th verse. Therefore, 
those who do not recognize my true transcendental nature fall down. If we don't see Krishna in that position, then we're fallen. Our knowledge is incomplete. Bhagavad Gita has been spoken what? To reestablish the principles of religion. Krishna here is talking about himself. And in speaking Bhagavad Gita to Arjuna, he is giving us knowledge. I'm the only enjoyer. I'm the master. If you don't recognize this, then you don't have transcendental knowledge. You're in a fallen condition. I've come and I've, I've come to reinstate this understanding of myself. What are we reading? We're studying what? The heart of Bhagavad Gita, the ninth and 10th chapters. This is where Krishna is giving the most confidential imports of all the text. Mm. He goes on to make the point a little more clear in text 25. Those who worship demigods will take birth among demigods. Worship the ancestors. You can go and live with them. So all those people that want to be with their long-lost family members that have moved on, the door's open. There's a method for you. If you like them in life and you miss them in their death, you can go live with them. Just perform the proper worship. So you can either be with the demigods, you can go and live with the family that's moved on down, or up. <laughs> you don't know where they went, but wherever they went, if you worship them, you can go there. I know where mine went. Those who worship ghosts and spirits, uh, you can take birth amongst those beings, or... Uh, non-birth because some of them don't have you don't have a material body kind of like a miserable condition it's like uh, wanting wanting it all and not being able to get it it's like I saw an interesting movie uh, it was called Ghost actually and you could see this poor unembodied being and he just wanted a cigarette <laughs> he hadn't had a cigarette in who knows how long. And he just, he was like, I can imagine. So you can imagine wanting whatever you enjoyed in life, whether it be the cigarette or the bottle of beer, the beautiful women, the nice feast, the gorgeous mansion, no matter what in life, if, if you uh, have the unfortunate position of t taking a ghostly existence, then all those aspirations, those, des those desires, those don't go away. But the physical part of the body, earth, water, fire, air, that's gone. Mind, intelligence, and false ego, the subtle body that you keep. You're considered an unembodied being, unphysically bodied in being. So, if you worship those kinds of people, perform your black magic, cut off the chicken's head, and do whatever you have to with the blood, or I'd have to go to New Orleans and get trained up to give you any kind of a discourse on what what those sciences are. But uh, we've heard of them, huh? So, if you have, if you have that desire, yes. That's also there. You can go and have that kinds of existence and perform your black magic and, uh, you know, 
have your mantras for that. Or Krishna says, those who worship me will live with me. That's a very broad statement that Krishna's making there. Those who worship me live with me. As we said, karma sarva karma va moksa karma udara deed. Even if our worship is still tainted by material desire, even if our worship is still tainted by desire for liberation, we've yet come to the topmost platform. Even though we may not be there yet, even though we've not fully, uh, fully taken on Najanam Najanam Nasundarim Kavitram Va Jagadisha Kamaye, as Lord Chaitanya says, I have no desire for wealth, I don't want any number of followers, I don't want beautiful women. Uh, janmani, janmani, soiree. I don't care if I have repeated birth and death. Even if we've not a- attained that high platform of unalloyed devotion. Krishna doesn't say unalloyed devotion here, does he? He says, those who worship me will live with me. Eventually, because we're coming to Krishna, he purifies. The whole process of Krishna consciousness is a gradual purification of the heart. And even if there is some desire, if we're coming to Krishna for fulfillment of that desire, whether it be liberation or some foolish garbage on the material platform, even if we have such a thing as that desire, if we're coming to Krishna for fulfillment, if we're seeing Krishna as the background of all these sacrifices that are mentioned in the Vedas, if we're seeing him as that predominating sound of Om, that transcendental mantra, which is not different from Hare Krishna. Oh, Hare Krishna, it embodies the same sense of Krishna, the supreme personality of Godhead. If that's the underlying principle of our worship, we will ultimately be purified by that transcendental sound vibration. I have a question. So, while obviously a lot of impersonalists chant Om, mm-hmm. um, but they take it as, you know, just, you know, like a vibratory quality of, you know, the The source, you you know, they don't take it as, you know. Right, so we explained earlier, I don't know when you came in, but Tuamasi, the impersonalist, that's their prime thing. I am that ohm. I am that sound. I am that spiritual, spiritual substance of the Vedas. Although they chant own, their a- emphasis is on I am, ultimately that spirit. Hmm. But isn't like, I mean, I don't know, I was just always under the impression that the Maha Mantra was actually even like more personal. Yes. Which, I mean, it is, right? Yes. I mean, so it's not quite like, they're not equal. They're equal. I was just they reading are? in Chaitanya Charitamrita this morning, Prabhupada said in one poor port, yes, it's they the same. They are equal? Yes. Really? It's more, but equal. <laughs> <laughs> it's equally more. <laughs> okay, it's like... Yeah. In the context of that discussion, in uh, the uh, Adi Lila, where uh, Prabhupada is emphasizing very much and explaining in, in extreme detail the the philosophy of the Maya body as opposed to the Vaishnav. He brings out the kinship of that that transcendental vibration Om, which is there. I, I was always under the impression that Om was was God's eternal vibration. That when He spoke or when He 
His whole essence is in that, that yes. sound. Yes. The same idea. Except it's one thing to say, you know, it's an impersonal sound. It's just, well, it's just the sound of the universe. It depends on your mentality, does right. it not? Right, compared to, to, it's the word of Krishna. It's Krishna speaking. Right? Or it is word. Krishna. Right. There's no difference between the transcendental vibration Om and, and the Supreme Personality okay. of Godhead. First time I heard this. Just like there's no difference between Krishna and, and Hare Krishna, Hare Rama. This, this is Krishna's sound. They are the same. There's no distinction. So, therefore, one could meditate and sound Om just as one could meditate and sound Hare Krishna. You could if that was the directive of your spiritual master according to your circumstance and time. Currently, at this point in time, coming in, in, uh, in wake of Lord Chaitanya's uh, advent, uh, we find that the, you know, that the Gaudiya Vaishnava spiritual masters are recommending that their disciples chant Hare Krishna. If they recommend it Om, that's fine. That would work. But they're not. If you chant Om, where will you go? <laughs> will you go home? <laughs> or will you go to home? <laughs> well, I was reading in one purport, and Prabhupada was explaining. It depends on your understanding of that transcendental vibration, Om. If you're seeing Om as Krishna, Radha, you, A U M, and M, the, the other energies of the Supreme Lord, the Jiva, then as long if you're seeing Krishna in Om, Krishna, Radha and Krishna at home, then uh, you would have every possibility of going to uh, Raj. It really depends on your... Everything depends on your intent. Your sankalpa. Intent. We've always yeah. we've mentioned this. Right. A few, sankalpa. Or the intent of the practitioner right. is also part of the equation. Right. Except when it comes to the Hare Krishna Mahamantra. Yeah. Well, it has some special characteristics. Right. Even it's chanted imperfectly, it's chanted brokenly, it's chanted in jest, it's chanted in uh, ridicule. It's so transcendentally potent that it purifies the chanter. So even so, even if the intention is not, it has some very special characteristics. Yeah. Yes. Well, because you know we talk a lot about you know if we're chanting if we're not you know um, what do we call it the um, no, you know, if we're um, chanting incorrectly, um, offens offensively, yes, you know, then we're not really getting anywhere. It's not that you're not getting anywhere. It's just that we want to come to the offenseless platform so that we get there quickly. Right. Uh, our chanting in uh, our chanting is just we we as the anarthas fall away. First of all, there's the fact that chanting under the direction of the bonafide spiritual master, that in and of itself adds a whole other dimension, does it not? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, we made a connection to Lord Chaitanya. The Maha Mantra can't, coming into Sufic succession is very important. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's also mention of chanting the Maha Mantra by those that are opposed to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, actually in opposition to Krishna. And that chanting is, uh, uh, is considered uh, actually detrimental. It's like milk touched by the lips of the serpent. 
we need to take the Maha Mantra, we need to contact the Maha Mantra through the proper channel. And then we need to come to the proper chanting of the name with a, with a with full spiritual intent and, uh, and attention. That, that's available through the mercy of the spiritual master. So next week we'll begin here with, uh, with how we can uh, offer the simplest thing to Krishna and uh, not, not need to be so... Uh, you see here in this next text, we'll start with next week, Krishna's requirements for taking an offering don't involve as much as all these Vedic rituals and sacrifices and perfect time and place and Brahmins and mantras. Krishna is very simple to satisfy. Patram pushpam palam toyam. Yome bhakta. Well, that's the hard point. If you're a bhakta. Any other questions? I just, I, I guess I'm not really clear yet here, but this is going because we've already gone over it and kind of, I mean, we did talk about it, but um, text 23, the purport. I'm going to go back to it because I don't. What can you give me an example here? Prabhupada says, Krishna does not approve the unnecessary worship of the demigods. When is it necessary to worship the demigods? Is it necessary? I mean, his statement implies that there it there can be a necessary time. There's no necessary time. If you go, if you have a connection directly with Krishna, there is no necessity for the demigods. Why doesn't he just say Krishna doesn't approve of any worship of the demigods? He doesn't say that because Krishna gives, as I explained earlier in the evening, Krishna may, Krishna gives facility through the direction of Veda for the fulfillment of desire on the material platform. That facility is worship of the demigods occur, uh, according to proper Vedic direction. If you have an aspiration on the material platform, then you can worship the demigods. Basically, it's a, let's get you started somewhere. Hmm. So Krishna's given the Vedas, and if you have this material desire... And if you don't see me as the background of everything, as I've explained in these verses, if you're not there yet, then here's the law, here is the handbook for material conduct where you can fulfill all your desires. You're not yet, you are not going to be able to see Krishna as the background of everything in the material world until your, your eye, until your knowledge is tinged with devotion. Having your knowledge tinged with devotion is only available by the grace of the Supreme Lord through the agency of Krishna's devotees. If you haven't come to that platform yet, then here's the handbook for material conduct. The handbook does contain direction for worship the demigods. Yeah. Okay, I guess I was just taking this as this, you know, he's like, you know, Prabhupada is like speaking to, the, you know, the, to devotees. Yes. Okay. He's speaking to everyone. Yeah. This is a preliminary study. <laughs> so there are those people who, who worship the demigods for elevation to heavenly planet mm -hmm. and who do not have enough 
uh, acumen and pious activity to yet recognize the, the position of devotional service, the transcendental position of devotional service. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.